Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about COVID. We're looking at the latest measures and figures in Catalonia, how the vaccine rollout is going and what could be in store in the weeks and months ahead. But we're also taking stock. It's exactly one year since all of our lives were so suddenly and utterly changed when we first went into lockdown. We'll be examining the social and economic impact of these last 12 months. Coming up a little bit later, we'll hear from Salvador Masip, a Catalan medical researcher based in the UK. And I'm delighted to be joined now by Christina Tomas-White and Killian Shields. Good to see you both. Good to see you too. Hey Lorcan, how's it going? I should say a very warm welcome too, if you're listening to us for the first time via the Catalonia Radio app or website. So we will be talking about the current situation and the vaccine rollout and all of that. But first, let's just look back for a moment. On the 11th of March 2020, the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic. And the next day, we were all caught a bit off guard, I think, when the Catalan government announced a lockdown for Igualada and neighbouring towns in central Catalonia. And before we knew it, the next day, which was Friday the 13th, I hasten to add, schools were shut and Kim Torra, the Catalan president, was asking Spain to shut Catalonia's ports and airports. And then on Saturday, 14th of March, the Spanish president declared a state of alarm and a total and very strict lockdown. There haven't been many weeks like that, have there? No, that's <laughs> definitely one we're going to remember. Certainly the only week like it in my life, anyway. Yeah, especially here at the newsroom. It was just watching everything change so quickly, day by day. Mm. It did happen really fast, it seemed like, yeah. the, you know, and we should have been expecting it, maybe from looking at what had happened in the north of Italy. But even right, so, right, it was right. a bit of a shock. I think it was a week as well where everyone was just constantly glued to your phones, just doom scrolling. Oh, this part of the world is locking down completely. Oh, another massive cluster found here. It just seemed to be a constant string of bad news and doomsday scenario stories. I remember it was the Friday of that week. I was working here in the office really late and uh, walking home that night was so strange because all the bars, there was, I think some were still open, and, but others had shut completely, others were closing up. And it was like a really eerie atmosphere because, you know, normally 11 o'clock on a Friday night in Barcelona, normally it's absolutely heaving, you know, things are just getting started. Absolutely. And it was just so eerie, but yet still one year on. The bars aren't open in the evening, you know what I mean? So You can't even walk on the street that late at night. True, yeah. yeah we've yeah, got the, the We didn't even have a curfew then, but yeah. um and I guess because we were working as journalists, we were allowed to go out whenever we had to for work and it was just so scary sometimes, just completely empty. Like I've never seen anything like it. You know, Pasajeresia deserted, La Rambla deserted, all these like massive, huge, busy streets, just completely empty. So we're one year on and some things have changed and some things are still the same. We're still getting our daily updates on how many people have died, how many people have been diagnosed and all sorts of other facts and figures, which you can see all of them uh, updated daily on catalannews.com. Killian, what's the kind of overview at the minute? So at the moment, we seem to be approaching the tail end of the third wave here in Catalonia. I mean, all of the crucial metrics are moving in a positive direction. Uh, at least the authorities are happy enough to loosen some of the restrictions as well this week. Uh, but for instance, the uh, reproduction rate, the transmission rate, that's fallen below one for the first time in uh, a while and stayed below one for about a week or a little bit more, perhaps. 
the outbreak risk as well, that's another figure that we have in Catalonia, that has fallen below 200, which means it has moved from the very high to high classification for the first time in three months. Uh, so these are very positive um, metrics that are moving in a good direction. As well as that, crucially, ICU occupancy and hospitalizations are also on a constant downward trend for the past couple of months. Okay. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, according to the Catalan government, 21,000 people have died that have had COVID-19 on their death certificate. What about the numbers of cases now in the past few weeks? On a very rough average, we've seen around 1,000 to 1,500 cases per day over the last couple of weeks. And then that can be give or take hundreds in any given day, you know, but I'm just trying to give a rough balance. So as you said, the figures are encouraging enough that the authorities are gradually opening up things bit by bit these last few weeks. And this week, more easing of measures was announced. Yes, indeed. The county level lockdown, that's going to be lifted from Monday the 15th of March. That's going to make a huge difference for people going to their second homes, perhaps in a more rural area, or even catching the tail end of the skiing season. For Easter, though, it's going to be slightly stricter. The Spanish government announced last night curfew will remain in place in Catalonia. That's from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Travel between the various regions of Spain, the various autonomous communities, isn't allowed. In terms of meeting in public spaces, six people are able to meet outdoors and four people are able to meet indoors which is actually stricter than it is in Catalonia at the minute and is one of the reasons that the Catalan health authorities abstained on the vote for these measures, which nevertheless will be implemented. Also, private gatherings aren't allowed. You can only meet up with the people you're already living with. And those Easter measures are going to be in place from the 26th of March until the 9th of April. The measures are constantly being tweaked, as they have been throughout the whole past year, but we're not out of the woods yet, Killian. Far from it. Catalan authorities, they've been emphasizing in recent press conferences that there are three main threats to the public in managing this pandemic at the moment, beyond the obvious health concerns that COVID-19 brings. Uh, so one, there's the new, more contagious strains of the virus. In fact, the UK variant already makes up most of the cases here. Uh, so number two, the pressure on the health system. So with these more contagious variants comes more infections and a higher probability of hospital capacity maximizing how are we doing regarding this at the moment? Well, the long-term trend is definitely moving in the right direction, but the number of hospitalizations are still around double what they were last summer, and ICU occupancy is around three times higher. And so the third threat to managing this pandemic at the moment is the fact that the vaccination rollout is seeing a lot of delays. That's something we're actually seeing all over Europe, really, not just here. I suppose that that is the major difference, though, between one year ago and now. Now we have vaccine and although the 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 rollout isn't going particularly smoothly Uh, i mean authorities are aiming for around 40 percent of the population to receive the inoculation by june and around 70 percent by the end of the year that's their stated aims but at the current rate they are not on track to meet these objectives right okay so we need to speed up the process but more vaccines are being approved and stuff so they're they're going to step it up i suppose if you wanted to take a slightly more positive look you could say that 50 percent of essential workers in catalonia have received at least one dose and 
obviously um, care home staff, those priority groups, care home staff, care home residents, uh, health professionals, uh, the general public. Okay, the figures are very low, but if you, if you and again, we've got these figures on our website um, updated every day. If you if you look at then in specific groups, it's it's a bit it's a bit more positive. Yes, and also the the rollout will speed up. There's huge hopes for the month of April. Authorities, not only here in Catalonia, but all over the EU, they really hope that this is going to be the month that is like the turning point for the whole vaccination campaign. Uh, but not only that, the arrival of the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine uh, that's been approved for use by the European Medicines Agency. It looks like the company are under a lot of stress to meet the EU's second quarter goal of 55 million doses. Uh, they say that there's issues with the supply of the ingredients as well as the equipment. Uh, but regardless, a fourth vaccine will be available, and it's expected that the other three will increase supply to the European bloc in the coming months as well. So the current pace of the vaccination rollout uh, will almost certainly, it should certainly pick up. And I, th I think there's also some hope that um, eventually Spain will allow people over the age of 55 to receive the AstraZeneca vaccine. You know, I think in other European countries, it was initially capped at 55. And then, um, you know, they retracted and let older people receive that vaccine. So now maybe essential workers in Catalonia that are over 55 eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, will start receiving that vaccine as well. Apart from the pessimism of the delays and whatnot, I do have some good news for you. So March 5th was the first day where there were more people with at least one dose of the vaccine than overall cases that we've seen in Catalonia since the beginning of the whole pandemic. Well, that is pretty good, actually. Yeah, so, okay. That's nice. There was 565,107 cases that day. And four more first doses had been given out by that date. Okay, and obviously in, in the week since then, that's obviously increased as well. So. Yeah, the, the difference has grown since then as well. But yeah, so since March 5th, we're now living in a more vaccinated land than a more COVID-riddled land. Now in Filling the Sink, we're going to hear from Salvador Massip, a doctor, scientist and writer originally from Catalonia, who's now based in England at the University of Leicester. Preliminary data shows that the vaccines that we have at the moment seem to be effective against all the variants that are circulating at the moment. Uh, it doesn't mean that they are equally good at containing all the different variants. seems that uh, perhaps some of them, like South African variant or the one uh, from Brazil, may escape up to a point uh, some of the vaccines. But that doesn't mean that the, these vaccines do not protect us against these variants. At the moment, it's not particularly worrying, but it's likely that in the future, if the virus keeps circulating around the world, there is the danger that a truly resistant variant could emerge at some point in the future. And we hope that by that point, uh, we have a good percentage of the world population vaccinated, so this doesn't become a problem and we don't have to restart vaccination in all the countries. Europe has failed in the organization of the vaccination campaign, clearly, and uh, has not managed to reserve or buy enough doses of the vaccine compared to other countries, or like uh, the US or, or the UK, that is the best example. And because of this, Spain and Catalonia are suffering this uh, lack of ability of the European community to, to negotiate the right amount of uh, doses at the right speed. And on top of that, there are probably a few 
wrong decisions that have made the case even worse. For instance, in Spain, they're still um, not using the AstraZeneca vaccine for people over 55, which is, uh, is clearly a mistake in the light of the data we have today showing that this vaccine works perfectly well in this population. Uh, there are a few... Um, technical problems there were at the beginning, uh, logistical problems mostly, that some countries dealt with them better than others. But uh, even so, at this point, the, the rate of vaccination is, is, is much, much uh, slower than we anticipated. It's a problem of difficult solution because uh, now the main bottleneck seems to be the amount of vaccines that reach each country, and this is uh, difficult to increase uh, at the moment. In Spain and in Catalonia, there's been this hurry to recover part of uh, normalcy as soon as the data seems to suggest that, uh, that the worst part of a wave is over. I think uh, uh, previously, at least, this was proven to be a mistake because we kind of rushed through this uh, easement of the lockdown and, and led to uh, another wave right away. Let's see if this time we can avoid this. I do think that the uh, strategy that the UK is uh, following right now, which is basically not to completely remove all restrictions until the whole uh, adult population is vaccinated, that looks like a, a reasonable course of action, because by then you could probably leave restrictions and not have to put restrictions ever again. Now, in, in Catalonia, this is not the case, because we have a rate of vaccination that is quite low. So if we have to wait for a full vaccination of the adult population, we're going to go probably after summer, sometimes uh, perhaps in autumn if we're lucky. And uh, this is probably too long to wait for a country that needs to recover its economy and try to save the summer uh, somehow. But this is dangerous. This comes with a, with a price tag, which is the, the risk of increasing the cases again, that having, of having another uh, wave, easing up the restrictions now, it's, uh, it's risky. Uh, it's understandable that it has to be done, but I would be very cautious and I would um, particularly um, ask um, everybody to be, to be sensible and to be cautious when restrictions are lifted, because in the end, whether there is another wave or not, or how big the wave is, depends on, on, on our behavior more than the virus. Dr. Salvador Massip from the University of Leicester was speaking to Alan Reith Terrell. Our thanks to both of them. So we've been living with the pandemic for a year and aside from the tragic number of deaths and illness that it's caused, there's also been social and economic consequences uh, beyond that. Take mental health, for example, Christina. Uh, yeah, especially when we consider how strict the lockdown was here, there was just a lot of fear, a lot more fear. You weren't allowed to leave. You couldn't go out even to exercise. You know, you could only leave your home to to go to the supermarket or go to the, the hospital or the, the you know primary care center. So that definitely caused a lot of stress and anxiety on the population. And there was just a lot of fear. Um, I would say now it has had a huge impact. I mean, it still continues to have a huge impact on mental health because, you know, even though we're allowed to leave home and restrictions, you know, aren't as bad as they used to be, just the, the fact it has had on the economy has also been devastating. So, you know, if you're stressed about not being able to pay your rent, or your bills, or if your business isn't doing well, and it has been affected by by measures to you know stop the spread of the virus that have been necessary from a health standpoint, they've had a negative 
economic impact, which will in turn, um, you know, have a, you, you know, if you're not, if you can't pay your bills, if you can't buy your food, if you can't pay your rent, you know, you're not going to be a happy camper. You, you, you you're just going to be a lot more, um, upset. Um, there was a study that came out recently that says that 23.4% of Spaniards have been scared of dying because of COVID-19. Um, and slightly over a third have cried because of the pandemic. So obviously, this is just what people report to themselves. You know, those figures could be a bit different. Um, I find it hard to believe that only a third of people have cried because of the pandemic. You know, if, if anything, if we're trying to find a silver lining here, I think uh, mental health is still very much taboo in Catalonia and in Spain. You know, people don't speak about it as openly as the, like from, from my own experience, I know that in the U.S. people talk a lot about depression a lot more than here and, you know, issues with addiction. And here it's still very taboo. But I think that thanks to the pandemic, it's something that is being spoken about more and more. And, you know, even in the Metro, there are ads for, um, yo, yo, yo tampoco estoy bien, you know, I'm not doing good either that I don't know if it would have been as widespread had we not gone through such an extreme, <laughs> awful event. So, You mentioned, obviously, that it's tied to the economic problems that a lot of people are facing because of the COVID, anti-COVID measures, if you like. Right. No, um, obviously, I, I mean, I don't think you can understand our social reality without looking at economics if you look at their latest unemployment figures um, that are from the final quarter of 2020, there is a 13.9% unemployment in Catalonia when a year earlier it was at 10.4%. In Spain, at the same time, it was slightly over 16%. Um, and this is much higher, much, much higher than the Eurozone, which uh, has an average of 8.1%. So, of course, you know... Spain and Catalonia has always had very high unemployment, much higher than the rest of Europe. And a lot of this does have to do with there being a significant submerged economy. But that doesn't mean that, you know, unemployment is not a huge issue here. And it's much, much higher among young people, which partially explains why so many people were out on the streets. So many young people were out on the streets just a few weeks ago um, for the Pablo Hassel protests. You know, these are kids, um, young young adults that are just very angry because so much of their freedoms have been restricted, so much of what they're used to doing, you know, they just can't do it anymore. And then at the same time, they have very poor economic prospects, you know, they, their job prospects in the future. I'd also like to add that these unemployment figures, um, they do not include furloughs. Okay, so 13%. 13. Oh, 9, yeah, yeah. 13.9, almost 14% of people in Catalonia totally without right. work, as you say, but there is thousands of people that are temporarily unemployed as well or yeah. work in reduced hours or all yeah, of these situations. Yeah, no, so the latest figure is that we know um, at the end of January, there were 175,000 people that were in ERTO, so temporarily unemployed. There's no denying that COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the economy and on employment, whether it's um, with like official unemployment figures or with um, ERTOs. And the, the sectors that have been most affected, I guess, would clearly be tourism. You know, Catalonia, usually um, on a norm, normal year, tourism accounts for over 12% of Catalonia's GDP. But obviously, with all the travel restrictions, you know, far fewer people have come 
so just take the example of Barcelona. Usually we have 12 million visitors here every year, but there was an 80% drop uh, between March and December 2020. And that's obviously because of COVID-19 and restrictions. No, and restaurants too, they've also been... um, really been suffering because of uh, the pandemic and all these restrictions obviously they haven't been able to open for a large part of the year or if they have been able to open it's been you know with limitations um as to like the opening hours and how many people per table so those that have been able to survive this awful year now they can finally open from 7 30 a.m to 5 p.m straight there was this one beautiful basque bar very near my home which I saw a couple of weeks ago has shut down completely, which I'm pretty sad about. It's been really difficult, especially for the ones that don't have terraces. You know, um, there's there's one in Gracia that I just found out that I really like. It's called El Vinilo, and um, they're you know kind of teetering at the edge, and yeah. who knows if they're going to be able to make it. They don't have a terrace. This so. place neither. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Much harder for those places that don't have those outside eating areas you know especially last summer when for such a long period of time bars and restaurants could only open their outside seating areas so that just left these kind of places that we're speaking about now completely in the dark completely unable to open well with all the negative effects of covid19 which are numerous we've ended up talking about the bars i don't know if that says something about us or just the general situation we don't want to perpetuate any stereotypes um, here uh, (laughs) lorcan no but i mean i think maybe an economy that is overly dependent on two or three a few sectors you know is definitely going to take a harder hit when those sectors cannot open fully absolutely mm. time now for our catalan phrase what is it this week christina which means it's here to stay it's here to stay okay so we really hope that's not yeah. the case with coronavirus for <laughs> Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks very much, Christina and Killian. Thanks to Alan and Salvador Masip too. And thanks very much for tuning in. Next week's episode of Flying the Sink is on space, the final frontier. Until then, from me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, take care. Bye for now. Adieu.